The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. of course, and I'm Steve Sedgwick, and these are your headlines. So Asian equities are staging somewhat of a rebound, whilst Wall Street extending declines overnight and Treasury yields keeping on climbing, with the two-year now at its highest level since 2007. This on concerns over the rate-tightening path. Uh, The European Central Bank's chief economist throwing cold water on raising borrowing costs at a faster rate warning bigger increases could generate adverse effects for the bloc. The European Union unveils emergency measures to curb soaring energy prices, outlining plans aimed at cutting the link between electricity and the cost of gas. The skyrocketing electricity prices are now exposing, for different reasons, the limitations of our current electricity market design. It was developed for completely different, under completely different circumstances and completely different purposes. Meanwhile, Chinese tech giants logged their worst quarter of earnings growth in history. But e-commerce giant Pinduoduo bucks the trend, boasting better than expected second quarter results. market still suffering from a weekend hangover that Friday trade uh, very rough session that investors were unable to just push aside for the Monday trade you can see still in the red slightly smaller percentage drops than the three odd percent declines we saw for the major averages Friday trade but still one uh, percent stripped off the Nasdaq more than six tenths uh, coming off the S&P 500 and the Dow sliding just over half of one percent big name stocks to the downside the likes of Salesforce for the Dow and Apple for the S&P and for the Nasdaq so uh, the market here is still judging that we've got uh, rates being higher for longer than this pal pivot they've been trading on for weeks. So the disappointment is still evident in markets. In terms of the sectors, we saw really right across the board, there was a lot of pain across these major uh, parts of market technology. In particular, we are mentioning yesterday about the amount of short bets still being placed on a sector that has been hard hit. That area of the market we saw falling downside uh, by tech about 1.3%, but also uh, fairly decent falls in the FANG Plus stocks. You saw that uh, ETF falling 1.1 plus percent in the trade. Other areas of the market too, banks, you saw some fairly decent selling in the big banking names. One area protected there was energy and you saw that much higher in the energy price on hopes that, uh, or some of the market hopes that there may be some moves by OPEC and that was repositioning taking place around that trade. But uh, you can see, see it red really for these major markets still. Treasuries, we did see some movement at the short end of the curve, 3.39, where we are trading. Uh, This area of the market uh, traded at its highest level since 2007. We climbed to uh, the levels just off 3.5% in the Monday trade. So you can see we've drifted off that, but still elevated levels. Up the uh, longer end of the curve, uh, the 10-year, you can see 3.06 morning session. 
To the dollar, with that uh, backdrop around yields, it's been a challenging force for markets yet again. The uh, sterling trade weaker versus the greenback morning session, 117.04. A little bit of movement for euro. It has, of course, had that narrative, a uh, slightly more hawkish ECB in recent uh, days. But uh, we're struggling to hold on to some of the gains based on that. Also with the cooling energy uh, story around gas and the storage that's been built up in Germany should be positive for the backdrop. But uh, you can see it uh, is up against that force of the greenback. The uh, dollar trade also slightly uh, weaker versus the dollar yen this morning. So we're 138.44. It's just really sterling. It seems to be struggling to recapture any territory versus the greenback. Let's get to what we're seeing on WTI and Brent. I mentioned that uh, very strong price that we saw yesterday. The surge of 4% in Brent and WTI prices. Morning session, they are both drifting off. We're 104.21 on Brent, down just over 8 tenths of a percent, 4 tenths south on WTI. And you can see below the 97 handle, gold also in reverse. 17.35 is the trade on the safe haven bullion. Asian markets picking up on the Wall Street action. It's a mixed bag. You can see a little bit of green actually coming back onto the boards for both Japan and South Korea. These are markets that were falling in the Monday trade on the back of that Wall Street action. Hong Kong and China were a little bit separate in the trade yesterday. You can see morning session, we're down 200 plus points on the Hong Kong market and more than half of a percent down on Chinese stocks, but still significant concerns too around the mainland market. Again, COVID cases, still a big issue for both Hong Kong and China at this stage, Steve. Thanks, Karen. Okay, Stephen Roach, the former Federal Reserve economist and chair of Morgan Stanley Asia, has told CNBC it will take a miracle for the U.S. to avoid falling into recession. Speaking on CNBC's Fast Money, Mr. Roach said Powell's Jackson Hole speech marks the real pivot by the Fed towards far more restrictive monetary policy. If you take uh, Fed Chair Jay Powell uh, at his word, and, and I now do, uh, he wants to move uh, monetary policy to a restrictive stance. And he's doing that from a point where the Fed right now is wildly accommodated. We'll definitely have a recession as the lagged impacts of this major monetary tightening uh, start to kick in. And they haven't kicked in at all right now. It hasn't kicked in at all right now. And yet the market's looking for signals, of course, for the post-tightening era from the extraordinary accommodation that Mr. Roach just said we're seeing. Haven't even started yet. Interesting. However, Jeremy Siegel, professor of finance at the Wharton School of Business, told CNBC he fears the response lag could risk the Fed over-tightening. Is he going to make a mistake by tightening too much? Now, he did mention monetary policy works with a lag. Uh, if he waits for the official statistics to really start coming down to 2%, he will over-tighten. And he'll make the same mistake on the downside as he made on being too slow on restricting liquidity in 2021 and early 2022. Well, there you go, ladies and gentlemen. We have a market uh, not tightening enough, haven't even started yet, to over-tightening. Let's see what Dave uh, Sakara believes. He's chief U.S. market strategist at Morningstar. Dave, nice to see you, sir. Thank you very much indeed. Well, look, um, let's give your impression, first of all, on whether the Fed is in danger of over-tightening or actually needs to hurry up. Oh, good morning. You know, the commentary from Federal Reserve Chair Powell, you know, I was surprised at just how blunt he was and really just singularly focused on inflation, you know, during his remarks. 
you know, typically there's going to be a lot more discussion about the Fed's dual mandate. But here, you know, he directly addressed the fact that continuing to raise rates, you know, will dampen economic recovery in the U.S. and hamper the job market. But at this point, you know, it certainly appears the Fed is willing to accept those trade-offs in order to bring their inflation back down to their 2% goal. And in fact, you know, looking at the transcript here, you know, a couple of the quotes that I'd pull out for investors to focus on would be, you know, first, you know, quote, the overarching focus right now is to bring inflation back down to our 2% goal. It's going to require a sustained period of below trend growth and a lengthy period of very restrictive monetary policy, which is ultimately needed to stem high inflation. Dave, um, I was looking at your bullet points uh, mm-hmm. and one really shone out to me. You said following this sell off, the US stock market is now trading at a 15% discount uh, to a composite of fair values. Mm-hmm. Um, just go through that for me as well, because when I look at the S&P and I look at the P.E. ratio and I look at CAPE ratios and the trailing, I hear what you're saying potentially over the last few years, but over a longer term historical basis, it doesn't look that cheap to me. Well, you know, you're really not going to hear from us too much about using our P.E. ratios or CAPE ratios. You know, we are a discounted cash flow shop. You know, we do our fundamental analysis from a bottoms up level. And when I'm thinking about our valuations, you know, we're really looking to see you know, how much free cash flow a company will be able to generate over you know, its entire lifetime and using that to come up with our intrinsic valuation. So any one year of weak growth certainly will impact the valuation of the company. But in this case, you know, we think the market has overreacted this year. Now, coming into the year, we did note in our 2022 outlook, we thought the market was overvalued. And we noted that there were going to be four main headwinds that the market was going to have to contend with this year. So first, that was the slowing rate of economic growth. We've certainly seen that in the first two quarters with negative GDP rates you know, here in the U.S., the tightening monetary policy, which we're you know, going through right now, our expectation for long-term interest rates to rise and for inflation to run hot this year. Now, when I'm looking forward and as we're heading you know, into the latter part of this year, We note that a lot of these headwinds we pointed out earlier in the year are actually now starting to abate. So our U.S. economics team is forecasting an average real GDP of 2% for 2022. So with the negative growth rates we had in the first half of the year, that means that we're expecting to see an average growth rate of about 3% for the remainder of the year. Uh, We do think the Fed will continue to hike a couple more times, but we think the Fed's going to be done hiking interest rates by the end of this year. We always think that, you know, the preponderance of interest rate increases in the long end of the curve have already occurred thus far this year. And we also believe inflation has peaked and that's going to moderate over the remainder of the year and decrease going into next year. So, in fact, when I'm starting to think about 2023 here in the U.S., I would note that some of these headwinds may actually start turning into tailwinds. Dave, the messaging, though, from the Fed was about rates staying high for longer, not necessarily cutting mm-hmm. this power pivot. If that is the case, and perhaps you're wrong on your call for this reverse course when it comes to interest rates, can you see the market still suffering from here? You know, we try not to you know, get too much into you know, the day-to-day volatility of the market you know, as long-term investors and really stick to you know, looking at those long-term intrinsic valuations of the companies under our coverage. And, you know, based on that, we do think that the market here is, you know, relatively undervalued, trading at about a 15% discount to that composite of fair values. And in fact, you know, when we break it down, you know, I'd even note that, you know, we think that, you know, probably the best portfolio positioning for investors today would be overweighting value and growth stocks. 
you know, those two categories are trading at about a 17% discount to our fair value. And then I would actually look at underweighting core and blend stocks as those are only trading at about a 7% discount. That's the area where we see those sectors that we do think are either, you know, fully or overvalued today, such as, you know, consumer defensive, healthcare, energy, and utilities. Dave, I can see in your notes too, you've got one call on a European stock and that is GSK. And this is around the Zantac story, just to flesh that one out for us. Sure. So I just highlighted that one. Yeah, we think healthcare overall is pretty fully valued and it's hard to find you know, too many undervalued opportunities in today's marketplace. But I've talked to our analyst that covers you know, GSK. Now, he thinks that the investors right now are overestimating the potential for legal settlements uh, regarding that Zantac lawsuit. And so right now we see that stock you know, trading at about a 40% discount to our fair value. Um, Dave, just looking at the mm-hmm. earnings season we've just had, now we're pretty much at the end of it now. Um, do you believe that the earnings outlook, of course, if you're looking at a bottom-up fundamental basis, and you were talking about cash flow, and I do appreciate uh, that still remains relatively robust. Do you think the outlook, though, was one of the factors that actually underpinned uh, your call that we're below fair value? I've got to be honest, I thought the opacity was extraordinary, especially uh, against consumer and service related stocks, which are such an important part of the U.S. economy? Well, we are looking for a big shift in consumer spending you know, this year. So, you know, getting back to your question on the second quarter earnings, you know, I think people are coming into earnings here in the U.S. You know, with a very negative outlook as far as expectations. And to be honest, you know, most companies that we follow were able to meet those expectations. You know, we did see some high profile misses you know, here and there. But I think more importantly was that the outlook for the second half of the year, while management teams in the U.S. were trying to tamp down expectations for the latter half of the year, they weren't throwing in the towel. They weren't really wholesale cutting their guidance thus far. So I think that's actually helped give some good market sentiment up until the point that we had the Jackson Hole commentary. Dave, there are so many uh, mixed uh, events uh, impacting the energy Mm -hmm. price at this stage, and it felt as though traders got back on board the price yesterday around a producers meeting coming up Mm -hmm. uh, on the 5th of September with talk of potential cuts from here. Uh, What are you doing with energy? Do you think there's uh, another re-entry price here? So energy, you know, coming into the year was actually the most undervalued sector that we had covered, and we had highlighted that in our outlook. But energy's risen about 50% year to date. And at this point, we think the space you know, is pretty fully valued and in a lot of cases getting to be overvalued. So energy in itself, you know, especially like the oil markets and the natural gas markets in the US, they've been underinvested in the amount of capital spending for the past couple of years. And I think we're paying that price you know, right now. But we do think that energy prices over time will start to subside. In fact, our, our energy equity analyst team, you know, they've held their long-term fair value price or their marginal price for oil at $55 a barrel for West Texas and 60 for Brent. So when we start thinking about our long-term forecast for energy, you know, we do see those prices coming down. And as those prices come down, we think stocks are pretty much already fully valued for that sector. You know, for investors looking for opportunities in energy today, God highlight the services areas where we see the best value. Dave, thanks for spelling that out for us and mm-hmm. uh, appreciate the time this morning. Dave Sikara with us, Chief U.S. Market Strategist at Morningstar. Some interesting comments crossing from the ECB as uh, the European Central Bank's Chief Economist, Philip Lane, says he would back steady 
incremental interest rate increases. And don't forget that's in contrast to the other commentary we've had in recent days from the likes of Schnabel. Now, speaking at an event in Barcelona, Lane said he would like to see the ECB chop up its expected rate path into increments, allowing it to carefully assess the health of the Eurozone economy. Lane's remarks stand in contrast to calls for a 75 basis point rise at uh, next month's meeting from other policymakers, including Austria's Robert Holzman and Slovakia's Peter Casimir. And don't forget, I think that's fascinating as we talk about the impact starting to hit that uh, his commentary effectively is that you go slower so you have more of an impact that gets digested every time there's an increase and that eventually the terminal rate is lower. And that's completely the opposite of what we've got at the moment. It's it comes the to opposite of what the Federal Reserve is doing, exactly. which is looking at shock and awe near the start of the rate rising process. Let's get this done or let's get it to a certain level when of course now the market is looking for the next stage but but if the Europeans don't feel for many idiosyncratic reasons some of which are, are very plausible as well they don't feel they can do that because of the recessionary implications for Europe and let's be honest about it we have an energy crisis that the US just does not have we, they have 10 times the or cheaper price of, of gas that's not gasoline that's gas uh, than us here uh, in Europe as well. That, for one, is a factor why Mr Lane, I guess, feels the need for caution. Which sets the scene too around yields. I mean, we've been uh, taking a check of these yields constantly and you've seen how attached some of the European yields are now to Treasuries. If we get to, say, a jumbo-sized move from the ECB first up, are there questions now as some of the doves come out and uh, voice their opinions? Does that curve start to disconnect to an extent from US Treasuries? Do we not get the jumbo-sized move at the next meeting also is the other question? Well, what so happens I think it with raises these if Mr Lane is erring on the concern about recession front, which I, I mean, again, I haven't looked at all his comments, but I guess that's, that, that's part of it as well, uh, then clearly he's more worried about recession than inflation. If we have more inflation, then we're going to see potentially higher yields at some stage because, of course, if it's not contained, uh, then there is a question about the, the refinancing of Europe as well and the appetite for that amid a stunningly high inflation environment for fixed income investors as well. So is Mr Lane willing to tolerate, and I guess this is the payoff as well, and it is a, a deliciously difficult equation for policymakers, is he willing to tolerate higher inflation? Is he willing to tolerate um, more use of the carry trade with the euro continuing? to stumble, perhaps even below levels we're seeing now. And we've seen some hysteria about where it could get to compared with the dollar. So, you know, if we've got US rates, which are now pricing in a 3.8% level at the start of 2023, but European rates going on a more measured, and if he's talking about chopping it up, what are we saying we'll get to by... Uh, February 2023, what are we going to get to? Are we going to get to three quarters of 1%? Is it better to get it done now or do it later? And this is the problem that the ECB has found itself in. Uh, and of course, so much is riding on it because they've, they've basically supported a sovereign bond market for over a decade, yeah. which without it, couldn't have survived. I'm glad you brought up the euro because despite having some of the most hawkish comments we've had in uh, recent times from the ECB over the weekend, we still didn't see the euro marching very well, far north. that's the difference. North. We've had hawkish commentary from some, but we haven't had any hawkish action, the action yet. Yeah. Uh, let's park that one there while we're visiting the show, though. Coming up on the uh, programme, Chinese tech giants come off their worst quarter of earnings growth in history. We'll discuss more after the break. Yeah, and for more on whether the Fed is in danger of over-typing, check out the Squawk Box podcast.
ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on cnbc.com. Pinduoduo has beaten analysts' second quarter earnings expectations, posting over 31 billion yuan in revenue. The Shanghai-based e-commerce giant reported high consumer demand during the 618 shopping festival in particular. The group cited agricultural produce, consumer goods and electronics as standout sales performers. Chinese tech giants, though, are coming off their worst quarter of earnings growth in history amid the economic slowdown and its impact on advertising and cloud computing. And let's get out to Arjun for more. Arjun, we know it's not been easy trading conditions for some of the big U.S. Uh, Silicon Valley names, but uh, what are the Chinese counterparts look like over the trading period? Yeah, it's been pretty tough as well for the Chinese uh, counterparts just because of a number of factors. And we talk about uh, the second quarter there. I'll just give you some of the highlights. Alibaba flat revenue growth for the first time. Tencent, their first decline on record. JD.com posting just 5.4% growth, its slowest on record as well. And so it has been tough, uh, tough for these uh, Chinese tech stocks as well because of uh, a lot of this is down really to the economic situation in China caused by the country's zero COVID policy. We saw a resurgence of COVID in the second quarter, subsequent lockdowns in major cities across the country, including uh, the financial metropolis of Shanghai. And you saw Q2 GDP uh, grow in China, just 0.4%. Uh, and that really hit the consumer. Alibaba talked uh, about lower spending across its platforms in the second quarter. Now, one of the interesting things is we saw the internet giants get a boost in 2020 and 2021 from the pandemic as people turned to these online services. But this year, the comparison's a lot tougher. And there are other issues as well uh, in the overhang. One of those is regulatory concerns as well. We've seen over the past sort of two years or 18 months or so, uh, the Chinese government introduce a number of different rules across areas such as antitrust, data protection uh, and gaming. And you're continuing uh, to see that hit some of these uh, tech giants as well. While even though sort of some of the the action and enforcement has eased, Tencent uh, released barely any new games in the second quarter because it didn't get the approvals to do so. And you are seeing other areas affected, cloud computing, for example, advertising spending. And that really trickled through to the numbers for Tencent and Alibaba. Now, in response, you've got the tech giants focusing on cost cutting to maintain earnings. And that's why analysts are expecting growth to pick up in the coming quarters, but not uh, any of those levels we, we were seeing back in 2020 and 2021 as well, guys. Arjun, just to read in on the geopolitics here, because we've had this breakthrough around auditing uh, where there seemed to be a pushback from the Chinese to allow US uh, regulators uh, to take a look at the Chinese books and the US was saying would kick off some of these uh, companies, Chinese companies from US exchanges if they didn't comply. But we seem to have progress now. Yeah, very rare concession, it seems, from the, from the Chinese side to allow U.S. auditors to come over uh, to China to inspect uh, some of these, these documents to, to do with uh, uh, U.S.-listed Chinese companies. Now, the detail really at the moment is, is quite scarce. We know that U.S. auditors are coming in September uh, to Hong Kong uh, because of uh, pandemic controls to inspect some of the, these accounts. Um, 
it, really, it's going to be the devil's going to be in the detail. You know, do the U.S. regulators get unfettered access to the documents they require? Will they be satisfied with that? At the moment, uh, Goldman Sachs put out a note saying that they expect that the uh, delisting risk has reduced by about 50 percent for the uh, Chinese uh, listed. Uh, sorry, Chinese companies listed in the U.S. So that is uh, that seems to be some significant process. But of course, it's all going to depend on on what details the U.S. auditors uncover. Um, are they satisfied with the amount of information they're getting and, and will the Chinese side uh, comply, Karen? Big one, isn't it, for a lot of investors who still want to be owning those Chinese stocks, but through US exchanges. Uh, we'll see you next hour, Arjun. Maybe you can make the commute into the studio. I think it's about another 15 metres away from where you are. Oh, he's in the studio, isn't he? <laughs> he's in the right, newsroom. He's at camera 11, isn't he? Technically in the newsroom. Oh, you mean over here? Yes. Oh, I'm just hanging out at the back of the office, Steve, at our wonderful camera position here. Lucky old you. Yeah. Well, we're going to see you hopefully later on and we'll talk more about those tech stocks. And you can also check out Arjun's story online, cnbc.com. Okie dokie, the European Union is preparing to intervene in the energy market to bring down skyrocketing power costs. A detailed plan could come as soon as this week as policymakers seek to break the link between gas and electricity prices. I'm not quite sure how they do that. Uh, multiple countries within the EU have now called for a price cap on the wholesale market. Well, the EU Commission President Ursula von der Leyen said the bloc has to take, quote, urgent steps to address the price increase. We're going to have to reform the electricity market. Currently, gas dominates the price of electricity markets. Different sources of energy. The last one dominates and marks the price. But with high gas prices, we're going to have to decouple. Also, we have to ensure that renewable energy, lower costs, those costs are passed on to end users. And we should ensure the windfall profits are used to support the vulnerable and others who desperately need help. Uh, German economy minister Robert Habeck says Uniper is not in a position to buy more gas. This after the German utility requested more financial aid from the German government raising the total bailout to 19 billion euros. Soaring energy prices in recent days have further exacerbated the situation for the country's largest gas importer. Uniper's deal with the German government has yet to be finalised, but Finland's Fortum, which is a majority owner, said it has already drawn down a 9 billion euro credit line. French Prime Minister Elizabeth Bourne says businesses should finalise plans to cut their energy consumption by next month, warning they could be the first to get hit if France is compelled to ration its energy supply. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show weekdays on CNBC.